Today I want to talk to you about living, living out your faith. For those of you who have attended here any length of time, and I, I, I know particularly as I, I look around and see in this service, many of you are aware that Grace Assembly provides one of the finest children's and youth ministries anywhere. Before I came to pastor this church, I was the director of youth and children's ministries and Christian education for the state of New York, so I had a chance to travel around out of the 330 or 40-odd Assembly of God churches. I got to be in a different one each weekend, and I got a chance to see what was out there. And as a result of that, I happened to know that Pastor Julie and Pastor Pablo were two of the finest leaders that I have ever come across. They are wonderful. In fact, I am blessed that on Wednesday nights... You can give them a round of applause. I'm, I'm sure they can use that. On Wednesday nights, I, I get to stand out in the foyer and greet people as they come in. And one of the things that's always amazed me is, as you know, we have to take all of the chairs out of here and put up tables and other stuff because the youth use this on Wednesday nights. And then because there's not enough room in here, Pablo takes his whole leadership team and walks out into the foyer and blocks it all off and creates this big circle, and they have prayer before, before youth. And I was sitting there the other night, and I watched as if you come in late, you have to stop until they're done praying. Uh, and so there's just this backup here in the foyer, and, and what wonderful problems to have. And uh, I'm so grateful for all that they do, and it was neat watching the youth and the leaders as they pray for the evening. And then after the service, and, and you know, for you parents, you're used to this, there's a blockage in the hallway over by the steps because of parents that are registering to get their kids to kids' church or those that are trying to pick them up because we want them to be as safe as possible. Uh, in fact, Pastor Julie has often told me she loves it when I preach long. And the reason is because it gives her more time with the kids. So if there's ever a Sunday that you think, man, you know, Pastor's going a little long today, it's Pastor Julie's fault. <laughs> she recommended that. And the reason is because... One of the things that I love about the way that we minister to our youth and to our children is that we are not entertaining those kids. We are teaching them the Bible. We are investing in the very fiber of their spiritual being, and our children are worshipers. In fact, there are times when their altar service lasts longer than ours, and parents have to wait until the kids are done praying before they can pick them up. I'm also blessed on Thursdays when I show up here, and, and Dennis and Karen Wood have just friends going on downstairs. Number one, Thursday mornings, the church smells so wonderful because they also cook and eat together then. But I get to go down there, and there is... Uh, some people have, have termed them the old people's youth group um, because they get to sing all of the songs that they like to sing, and they have this wonderful time of, of fellowship together. There are a lot of people that don't even come to this church that come to just friends because it is their circle of friends. And, uh, and the Lord is doing some great work there as they come together for fellowship and spiritual growth. And then we're blessed because we have pastors Larry and Sharon Frank that, that are always talking about the effectiveness of our small groups that are meeting in our different homes. And by the way, we need more homes and we need more small group teachers because the larger we get, the smaller that we need to get because those relationships are so important together. And we have some Bible studies that, that frankly, are at a place where we need to begin to divide them because they're growing to that part. And, and it's, it's a wonderful problem to have, but we're faced with those issues. And then I'm blessed because at the end of services, at the end of this service in particular, nobody wants to leave. Sometimes you stay here for an hour. 
and sometimes I just shut the lights off and say, last one out, just close the door. There's, there's this hunger just to be together that is a blessing. And uh, another thing that I love is, is coming in every Sunday and as I look around seeing new faces every week. And the thing that I love about you is that there are those of you that look around and if you see somebody that you don't know and it looks like they're here for a first time, you're not afraid to go over to them and say, hey, would you, would you like to sit with us today so that they don't feel like a stranger in a new place? And I'm grateful for that. And then we're blessed because we have college students that invite other college students to come to church. I know we have a, a strong contingent of international students that come to SU, and many of them are, 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 are studying postgraduate degrees, and, and we have students that have been brought to this church that from their own home countries have never once heard the message of Jesus Christ, not once, that get to come here. In fact, some of them, the countries that they come from are closed to the gospel, and God uses our students as they bring other people. One of the things that we did is we asked the children of our church down last week if, if they would be willing to give us a few of the designs that they think that the new church should look like. Now, I know that you can't see this well, but I, I grabbed a few of them, and one of them said we need to have a back room in the new church, then a big stage, and then the chairs, and then over on the side they wanted an indoor pool. <laughs> I see adults that are going, yep, yep, yep. This is a capital campaign. We can have a six-foot water baptism tank with a diving board if you want. We would just have to yell, in the name of Jesus, while you're still in the air. You know, I've got all kind of creative ideas as this thing's coming around. Then in the foyer, we don't need a foyer. What we need is a cafe and a play area. So... So that was what one of the, the areas uh, that our kids had. There was another one that was very creative that I, that I thought was quite interesting um, because they thought what we needed more than anything else was a gaga ball pit. I'm not sure what gaga ball is, but apparently we have some youngsters that believe there's a spiritual aspect to that competition. It may be, for some of us, we may need to create pickleball courts or something of that nature to help us out with all of that. Uh, in fact, I did notice that on two or three of the kids, the idea of having uh, an all-season indoor pool was very, very important to the vision of what they want their church to look like. Uh, I love that. I love the fact that our children are thinking about that. Each week we have been introducing you through a video series to somebody else in our church, and I'd like you to turn your attention to the screen as you get to see somebody that many of us are familiar with. Hi, I'm Marianne Kaminsky, and this is my story. I've attended Grace for, I would say it's got to be, close to 50 years. I have a lot of great memories from Grace, from the very moment I went in that church. People were just so warm, just so helpful, so kind. I was just stuck and struck. And there I am, and there I stayed. It was the message of the love of Jesus. His love, His faithfulness, His forgiveness. It was being brought up. It was always, it's, you had to go confession, penance. We never did enough to be good. 
you come to Jesus, he was forgiving, he was loving. And it just, I loved it. I felt like I was wanted, I was loved. I stayed and I'm still there and I plan on being there for a lot longer, as long as the Lord provides. I serve on Wednesdays, helping the little ones, and also on a Sunday as a greeter. I enjoy that. If you could see the way they come in and how excited they are to see each other, it's amazing. I love it. And Sunday, I love Sunday mornings too because you see so many people that sometimes with the church growing the way it is, you don't get a chance to see everyone. So this way, when you're working the door or whatever we're doing up in front, you get to see everybody. You can say, good morning, how are you? Good to see you. You can encourage one another. And that I also like. It's important, We, I guess we all leave legacy, but it's more important to see the legacy that these little ones or the young ones are leaving. You see it every, every Wednesday, every Sunday. These little ones and the big ones, they look forward to church. They're, they greet and meet each other. They're very friendly, they're outgoing. You can see how they help and care. They share. And we'll see you next week. I love it when I hear one of them say, I'll see you next week. And did you have a good week? And I'm thinking, God bless these little ones. The things that they're learning, its um, the Lord is amazing. He really, really is. One of the things that I am more than excited about moving into our new church is we are going to have room. We are going to have classes, room for classes, room for parking. It's, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be like you're being born again. I'm just looking forward. Total move, total newness, and I can see more people coming from the neighborhoods, especially the children, teenagers. I think we're in for a good growth at Grace. I choose to give to Grace because of all that's been given to me through the Lord. I really believe to be all in First of all, I think there's prayer that you need for direction. But you sincerely want to see that change or that commitment or the direction in which you're supposed to be going. Grace is a wonderful future investment. When I see what these little ones do and how sincere they are for their love of Jesus and how they give back in their own little ways, praying for each other, they're not bashful or ashamed to admit it and ask for prayer because my little friend isn't here tonight. She's sick. That really gets me. That touches me deeply. And you'll ask them to volunteer who would like to pray. There could be two or three that would raise their hands and all want to pray. They're just so innocent and so loving. And just think of what they're going to be for our future. I'm Marianne Kaminsky. And thank you for listening to my story. By the way, I also think that Pastor Jeff and Alyssa and Pastor Jacob and Ryan are also some of the finest people that we have in the state and the ministries that they run. We are truly, truly blessed here, and I'm grateful for all of them. Today, as we talk about living out of our faith, I understand that to exhibit faith 
always means that God is going to lead us into something that we don't know how it's going to turn out. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable. One of the greatest joys I believe that any of us can have is when we come to Jesus Christ and we ask Him to be our Savior is to put down our expectations that He's going to tell you how the story ends before you even begin. In fact, many, many times I've had the chance to stand with new couples as they are standing there hand in hand and they make their vows together at a wedding and they believe that they know what their life is going to look like. Those of us that have had a few years of marriage under our belt recognize we didn't know nothing. And rarely does a plan go the way you think it is when you get started. I believe that there's a lot of that that's involved in the way that we follow Christ. I also believe that one of the things I love about this church is that corporately we have decided a long time ago that we decided we were not going to play it safe, but we wanted every bit of adventure that the Holy Spirit wanted to lead us on. Henry Blackaby says this, Christ will lead you. Now, I want you to listen to the words of this. Christ will lead you into many situations that will seem impossible, but don't try to avoid them. Stay in the middle of them, for it is there that you will experience God. Now, I know that as a follower of Christ, I want to experience more of God. How many of you want that? We pray, Lord, I want all of you. In order to experience more of God, there are going to be times when He's going to lead you to places that it doesn't make any sense to you, that it seems impossible. And you're going, Lord, this is not what I have chosen. He says, but I'm going to give you more of me because as you enjoy the adventure of this, I'm going to show up in ways that nothing, nothing else could have brought. We like certainty. Faith lives in an uncertainty. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. There is created within us at rebirth a spirit that desires the adventure and the leading of God within our life. And I believe that when He takes up residence within us at salvation and He makes us a new creature, that He activates in us the desire for the adventure of faith. In the body of believers that we call the local church, we are on a journey of faith guided by the one who knows all of the trails and he knows all of the outcomes before we ever start. And he simply asks us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I want to return to a passage of scripture that I have preached about in the past and it's, I believe, a great reminder. And I'm going to ask that you would turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. I want to read 14 verses of the story of Abraham and Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Can you say tested? How many of you know God tests? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for his burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, 
Abraham, yes, my son, the, f- the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns and he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I pray, Father, over these next few moments that you will begin to implant within our spirit the things that we need to nourish our faith and our trust in you more. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your books, I'm going to ask that you would turn. There's a place in the back, I believe it's on pages 19 and 20, where there's a place for you to take notes as it relates to this message, and it would do me good to see you writing as we talk this morning, because I believe that there's some things that would be beneficial to you. The first thing that I want you to write on that book of yours is this, Slope 1, Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. Slope 1, Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. The account of the sacrifice of Isaac is dramatic. It's a remarkable crisis of faith in Abraham, his father's life. It is a story that is without precedent anywhere in the Old Testament because it is without precedent that God demanded anywhere else a human sacrifice, and it's without parallel that God commanded it to be of Abraham. Scripture clearly states that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he replied, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, on whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. One of the things that interests me here is that what God made known of his direction was that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. What he decided to keep from him is where it was going to happen. Oftentimes, information that God gives to us, the things that we want uh, God to tell us are, are things that God put right up front here. He goes, listen, this is not going to be an easy trip for you because you're going to take your son, and what I want you to know about this journey is that ultimately he's going to be sacrificed. And Abraham's standing there in fear is going, where is this going to take place? And he goes, you just follow me, and I'll show you where when we get there. And he begins to describe Isaac, God does this way. He said, he's your only son. Now, God is not forgetting Ishmael here, who was also a son, but it means that Isaac was the promised son. Isaac was the son in whom God was going to bring a people through. And then he calls him by name. He says, your only son, Isaac, for whom Abraham and Sarah had waited years. I can't wait to get to heaven and see a picture of Sarah in maternity clothes in her 90s. Really want to take a look and see what that might have looked like. But they had waited so long for this promise to come to pass. And now having received it, we're in this state. And then God said, as he describes Isaac, he says, this is the son whom you love. I'm supposing that God told Abraham this to reassure him as, listen, I know how hard 
this journey of faith is going to be for you. I know how much you love him. But what God was telling him is that I know how much this is going to cost you. Interesting enough, we look at this and we say that the promise and the command of God seem to flatly contradict one another. How is it going to be, Abraham, that if you obey the command and you sacrifice Isaac, that it's not going to cancel the promise? Because that was God's way. If he disobeys the command, what are the consequences of that as it relates to his further relationship with God if he doesn't do what God wants him? And I would imagine that Abraham, being a man like we are people, was filled with heartache and heartbroken and a lack of understanding. It was illogical. Doesn't make any sense. How many of you have had a chance in your life yet for God to give you a direction that doesn't make any sense? Many of you. You've been in those places where God says, I'm going to test you. And as he leads you to something, you're going, Lord, I don't know where this is going, nor does it make any sense, but my heart is breaking through this. You told me, God, that through him would come all of my descendants. Why then must I sacrifice him? And faced with this apparent contradiction, Abraham's character and his faith were tested. By the way, this is not a short journey. The Bible tells us that they traveled for about three days. Now, how many of you, when you get in tense situations and, and, and there's a lot on your mind, how many of you get quieter than normal? How many of you have friends that you know when they're going through a difficult time because their demeanor changes? Isaac knew his dad. I don't know what their personalities were like, but Isaac would have known that Abraham is walking for three days with nothing to say. Dad, what's going on with you? Nothing, son. Leave me alone. Hey, Dad, you're not acting normal. Just be quiet. We're following until the Lord tells us where we're going. And he just begins to go quiet. So this was a long, quiet, three-day journey where Abraham is mulling all of this over in his mind, and Isaac is wondering what's going to happen through all of this. And then... They get to the place, and he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, I want you to write in your books, in the notes section, I want you to write worship, worship, because the way that Abraham saw worship is different than the way that you and I see worship, and I want to spend just a moment with that word because it's going to give us some understanding in this. When Abraham thinks of worship, he thinks of it in terms of sacrifice. Old Testament worship meant something was going to die. Something had to happen. There had to be bloodshed in order for there to be worship. And so today we are so far removed from that thought because when we enter into the church, we think of worship as singing. We think of worship as raising our hands. We think of worship as joyful. We think of worship as life-giving. We think of worship as, as happiness and gladness. And yet when Abraham said we're going to worship, everybody in that group knew something was going to die. And so he tells his party, stay here, we're going to go worship. Something's going to die up there. And they'd only brought two of the three elements. They had wood and fire. And in fact, it's in verse 7 that Isaac finally asked his dad, listen, been on this journey for three days and something's been wondering, just bother me. Hey, you, you, you only got two of the three elements. Where do you plan to come up with the sacrifice? 
And in verse 8, Abraham says this to his son, God himself will provide a lamb. I want you to know that God takes personal attention of each and every one of us when he is leading us on a journey of faith. God himself is leading you. God himself will speak to you. God himself will provide for you. God himself will put his fingerprints all over it. Abraham had the confidence to know that God himself is involved in this journey of faith that I'm on. And basically what he's saying, son, I am leaning completely on the fact that this is in God's hands. I don't have all the answers, but I know that God is trustworthy in this. And the Bible says they continued on their climb of faith until they reached the place where the sacrifice was to be made. And then you have to get this because the Bible says he takes his son and Abraham binds his hands and binds his feet and he lays him on the altar and he takes a knife and is ready to plunge it into his own son, the son of promise the son that's an answer to prayer, the miracle gift, and he's ready to worship God with his own son's sacrifice. Here's what you need to know. Isaac was not a little boy at this time. Most commentators believe that he was in his 30s. So he was big enough and old enough that he carried the wood for the altar by himself. So this was a moment in time when Isaac says, come here, son, I need your hands. I'm going to bind them. I need your feet because I'm going to bind them. I mean... Abraham is old. Isaac is strong. If Isaac had not wanted to go along with it, Isaac could have beat his dad up. He could have said, this is not happening. But out of reverence to something that he sensed God leading them in, he yielded himself even to the point of death in this journey. This was a journey for two people, not just one. It was as much a test for Isaac as it was for Abraham. And then, because he's a grown man, he probably had to get himself up on the top of the wood that he had just arranged. And as he's laying there, and his father begins to lift the knife, I have to imagine that Isaac is thinking, well, this trip has turned out differently than I anticipated. This isn't what I was thinking about when Dad said God himself will provide. And I'm certain that he thought, Abraham, why, why, oh God, are you asking me to do this? Here's what I want you to know. The gift of God had become more important to Abraham than the God who gave the gift. The gift of God had become more important to Abraham than the God who gave the gift. There are times in our life when we ask God for His blessings, and then when He gives them to us, we take those blessings and use them in such a way that we can begin to ignore our love for God. And some of the things that He gives us and some of the things that He provides for us are the very things that lead us away because we begin to enjoy the freedom of His blessing, and we forget that the gift is not important, more important than the one who gave it. It would be easy for Abraham and Sarah to look at their son and love him so much and have longed for him so much that God is going, I need you to remember that he was a gift that I gave you and I am more important than he is. To parents and grandparents, how easy is it for us to elevate our children and grandchildren to places that may be more important than God's? God says, let me remind you what it says in Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your son and soul, and with all of your strength. Abraham's son had taken God's place in his life, and God will never allow that to happen without whispering in your ear, take my blessing and open your hands, and I want you to sacrifice it because I'm the one that gave it, and I am more important 
than the gift that I have given to you. There's this moment of conflicting priorities that every one of us during this campaign are going to have to go through. As we begin to recognize that everything that we have, the very breath that we have is given to us as a gift of God. Every resource that He has provided for us is a gift of God. The intellect that God has given to you to use to earn an income is a gift from God. And yet oftentimes we take what we have earned and we begin to say, this is more important to me than God who gave the gift. And we live in the confusion of that and we confuse His gifts and His blessings and possessions with Him and too easily it's easy for us to step away from our first love. About 43 years ago, I'd been studying business in school. I wanted, to, I wanted to own a sporting goods store. That's what I was going to college for. As I was representing my school at camps in Oregon in the state of Washington, I remember one evening when God very clearly through a series of events changed my direction and called me into the ministry. I was dating a gorgeous girl, the most beautiful girl on the college campus at that time. She was dating somebody who was going into business. She'd planned a life of somebody going into business. And so when I went back to her and I said, small change plans, I recognized that the possibility existed after my call to ministry that she would say, that's not a direction that I want to go. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, I need you to sacrifice this relationship. Can you put it on the altar? Am I more important than a blessing? Now, I can tell you, 41 and a half years later, <laughs> I'm still married to the most beautiful girl on campus, but it became a test of faith for her as well. How many of you know that the blessings that God gives you, He's going to test to see if He's more important than they are? God will challenge you to open your hands to things and possessions and money and people that you begin to allow to be more important in your life than He is. And Abraham was at a place where just about all hope was gone. Have any of you ever been in a season of your life there where you were working so hard and it seems like everything that you do falls apart in your hands and everything that you plan seems to fall apart and at the end of it you're going, Lord, I'm at the end of the rope. There seems to be no hope left. Maybe for some of you it's about your marriage and you've tried so hard or some of you, you've been in a physical struggle and you're trying so hard. Maybe you're praying for spiritually lost family members and you pray so hard, financial situations, and every time you begin to see a way that you can get through it, something else happens and plunges you right back into debt. But you feel as if about all hope is gone. Have you ever been there? I got a call yesterday morning from Jacob and Ryan that a police officer knocked on their door at 4.45 in the morning. And said, I'm here to inform you that your car was stolen last night. It was involved in a police chase. There's been a terrible accident. Your car's been totaled, and the person that stole it is in the hospital. The only car they've got. She begins to call, and she goes, I just want to bring you up to date on what's, what's taking place here. You begin to add things. Have any of you ever felt things just begin to pile up on you? And you're going, Lord, I'm trying so hard. Why does it seem that all of these things can be so discouraging? And I want you to know something. God will test you. He will lead you into places that seem impossible so that when you look back on it, you will rejoice because what was impossible to you was His opportunity. And so we focus our attention on the one who provides. 
And here's what I need you to know. Abraham and Isaac, as they were climbing that mountain, could only see one side. Everything about it was one side of the mountain. Here's what I want you to write down. Slope two is God's side of the mountain. Slope two is God's side of the mountain. How many of you know that as Abraham and Isaac are struggling and toiling to carry wood and fire and everything up one side of the mountain, that God was at work on the other side of the mountain bringing a ram up that they knew nothing about. It would have made their journey easier if God had told them what was going to happen. Oh, God, please. You know what? It's probably better that we don't know what's going to happen. There are certain circumstances that take place in our life that I'm glad I did not know was coming. Because God knows how to do those things. But as they're climbing this mountain, God is bringing provision up the other side, and only God knew it. They didn't. There is something happening in your life today, and I want you to know something. You may be on a difficult climb, a difficult journey. God is asking you to climb this mountain by faith, but you don't know what God is bringing up the other side of the mountain, that in a moment of time you will collide with his provision if you will just keep climbing. And Abraham's obedience collides with God's provision And when you are climbing on a journey of faith that God is leading you on, you will always intersect God's provision. Let me stress this point. Abraham could not see the other side of the mountain. He couldn't say to Isaac, don't worry about this, son, because I know that verse 13 is coming. He couldn't say that to him because he didn't know it. Guess what? Abraham had no idea that verse 13 was there. He just knew he was living in verses 6 and 7, and he had to keep going. He couldn't see both sides. And how many of you know today, you may be living in a verse 6 and 7, and you're carrying a load, and you're climbing the mountain, and God is leading you and saying, I'm I'm testing you in this. I want you to know something. Don't stop in verses 6 and 7, because verse 13 is on the way. You're going to make it to the top, and you're going to intersect the grace of God. Only God can see both sides of the mountain. What would have happened if Abraham, an old man climbing up a mountain, said, I'm not doing this. The more I've thought about this, son, I love you too much. I'm not willing to give God the blessing that he gave to me. I'm not willing to give it back. This, this is almost like a baby dedication for a 30-year-old. When he lays him on the altar and he says to him, God, it's my only son. And God says, I want him. I don't know who this is for, but somebody here has children. That God is placing his hand upon for ministry. And they have heard you complain so often about church and church leaders that they're afraid to tell you what God is doing in their life because they're afraid of your disapproval. And I want you to know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, be careful what you say about the church and about the Lord and about his leadership because there's going to come a time when you're going to have to place those children on an altar and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And whomever it may be, when that time comes, you just open your hands, say, God, you created them, you do with them whatever you want to do in their life. Because I will not stand in your way no matter how much I love them and no matter how much I'd plan for them to do something different. 
that would make more money, that would be more popular. But God, not my will, your will be done. And it's time for you to be an Abraham and a Sarah. Say, I will not fight God that what he has blessed me with is more important than he is. You've been created for this climb of faith. God never leads us in places that it doesn't require daring faith. If Abraham had stopped, we wouldn't be studying this story today. If Abraham and Isaac had started to climb not knowing what would happen and stopped and looked at each other and say, this is something, God, that you're asking and it's too much for us. It had me wondering this week, how many times in my life has God led me on a journey? And I begin to add conditions to that, saying, Lord, you want me to finish this? I need to know where it's going. I have a lot at stake here, God, so. And stopped halfway up a mountain and missed the provision of collision that God was leading us to. Because he says the provision doesn't come till you've reached the top. You have to finish the journey. And some of you may have felt the same way, and maybe you stopped a month earlier, or a week earlier, or a day earlier, or an hour earlier, or even a minute early, just short of intersecting God's miraculous provision and the resources that he was bringing up the other side of the mountain into your life if you would just keep climbing and trust him in all of that. And I wonder what the reaction of heaven is like for those that stop short and the angels are crying out, don't stop there, keep going. You're so close to the provision that God is bringing up the other side. If you keep going, you're going to see your marriage healed, your finances healed, your church healed. You're almost to verse 13. Don't stop at seven. Because being created for a climb of faith means following obediently even before the provision is seen. And I do believe that there will be times when we will find out that God grew weary of churches and individuals who want to blame God for his lack of provision when we are bankrupt in obedience ourselves and never finished the journey. We want to see the ram first. God says, get to the top of the mountain first. Grace Assembly, I believe with all of my heart that God still meets obedient people on the top of mountains. God is calling us to climb. Our church is 105 years old. There are four or five generations of people who have attended this church that are already in heaven. We may have a lengthy history, but we are being renewed and empowered and positioned to be a central piece of the last day's outpouring of the Holy Spirit revival that He has prophesied. And if we stop climbing, we will miss the provision of God and all of that. There are tens of thousands of people that surround us that do not yet have faith in Jesus. And we've been called to them. And we are going to climb the mountain of faith under the direction of the Lord. And we will see thousands of people come to Jesus Christ because it is his will that none should perish, but everybody come to eternal life. Worship team, if you'd please come. Karen Watson was a missionary. She was killed in Iraq by a drive-by shooter. She had written a letter to her pastor, and she said, in the event that something ever happens to me, this is what I want you to open and read at my death. She said, when God calls, there are no regrets. I wasn't called to a place. 
I was called to Him. To obey is my objective. His glory is my reward. God called me, listen, to care more than some people think is wise, to risk more than some people say is safe, to dream more than some people think is practical, to expect more than some people think is possible. I was not called to comfort or success. God called me to obedience, and that is a call for every one of us. And herein lies the lesson. Your mountain may be steep. Your mountain might be shallow. But you don't know what God is bringing up the other side of the mountain. Grace Assembly, don't stop climbing. The provision is on the way.